you have to have the courage to communicate. And that is a huge one because I just hired Vicki. She's fantastic. We've needed a receptionist for the past six months. She's here. She's great on the phone. We're so happy she's there. She takes great messages. She's late every day. She's been late every day since she started, but she's really great at everything else. I don't want to stir up the waters. I'm I'm not going to say anything. Maybe it'll just heal itself and go away. And then two months later, you know, you're in my office going, I need to fire Vicki today because she's driving me crazy because she's late every day. Well, you've never had a conversation with her. You've never said that it was a problem. This is going to be a huge surprise to her. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore, here with Matt Colicello, who is in for our Chloe Goodry-Reed today. As part of our series, geared towards empowering small and diverse business owners to take their businesses to the next level, we're joined by Vicki Brown, CEO of Edom Ineo Enterprises, a seasoned HR professional, to discuss how to hire and fire properly as a small business. The process of hiring and firing employees can be stressful, arduous, and time-consuming. Luckily, we have Vicki here to help us walk through some key tips on how to streamline your hiring and firing process to ensure seamless transitions, quality hires, and amiable parting. So why don't we jump into this topic? And let me tell you, this is one that I, you, you don't realize until you get there. And then when you get there, you're like, uh-oh, I might not be prepared for this. Yep. Well, welcome, Vicky. I mean, you make it sound, you make it so simple when you describe what the best practices are. So we're super excited to have you. Yes. Yes. But first of all, we would love to hear a little bit more about you, kind of your experience in HR, and tell us more about your company and how you came up with the name Edomineo for your, your business. Absolutely. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I'm thrilled, really excited about having a chat with both of you. And yes, the name of my company is a mouthful. And every single time I speak to a marketing person, the first thing they say is, do you think you might want to change that name? And so uh, I look at them and smile and I say, Adidas, and then I move on. Um, so it is the name of an opera by Mozart. And in my other life, I was an opera singer. So that is part oh, of the history there. Oh, fantastic. So we have to stop because <laughs> I am season ticket holders to the Atlanta opera. Oh, so, And I'm a first tenor myself. So I have to ask, what, what, what did you sing and what were some of your favorite roles? Sure. Well, um, I speak as though I'm a contralto, but I'm actually a lyric soprano. Okay. And, um, and it is, uh, I took a one-year hiatus about eight years ago. Oh. So, <laughs> Isn't that how that happens? Uh, exactly, exactly. And some of my favorite things, well, I've been very, very fortunate because I'm actually in Los Angeles. I'm in West Hollywood. So I've had the opportunity to 
appear with the LA Opera and actually work with some really, really great people. And I think my favorite moment was doing the opening of the soccer event here in LA because I got to sing in Dodger Stadium with Carreras and Pavarotti Very and nice. um, Domingo. So it was a soul-stirring event. So uh, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but yes, so that was a great time. So that was my prior life. And um I realized that as I was working, because I also was uh, a human resources professional at the time, and as I was working, I realized that when work kind of got too much, I could think about the music side. And when music, as you know, being a, being a tenor yourself, music is work. So <laughs> I thought, of, so when I was doing the music side and it kind of got to be just a little bit too much, I could go and be a business person and get something done from A to Z and finish it. You know, so that's a little bit of that history. (laughs) Love that. Love that. Okay. So you're an HR professional by day, musician by night. uh, And I don't think a lot of people realize that in the music world is uh, you have to have another paying job sometimes, right? It's not, it's not all this glam and glitz. It's made out to be it. It it is work. Like you said, so you're an HR professional uh, on the corporate side, then I imagine, correct. Or were you always independent? No, I was actually on the corporate side. I had no intention of being independent or having my own company. In fact, I was kind of uh, pushed into it by uh, the president of Uh, the former company. I was okay. He was very sneaky about it. I was about to say, so let's crack that open, right? So that is then the birth of your company into what you're doing now. So kind of walk us through that. How did you go from opera diva to daytime (laughs) HR professional to now uh, entrepreneur that's helping our small businesses do the right thing by their personnel. Right. Well, I actually worked my way through college, so I was always working. Um, and <laughs> I hear you. Um, right. I knew I was going to sing, but I also knew that I wasn't going to go to Germany and sing at little opera houses for you know ten years and try to make it. So uh, I'm a nester. I was going to stay here, so I needed to get a job, which I did. And so I was working and singing for a very long time. And as I was working, I kind of came up through the ranks in human resources mostly in entertainment, actually. So I was on the entertainment side. And then cut to pre-Edomineo, I was the chief HR officer for a financial technology uh, services company. We were a startup. That time was 1998, 99, 2000. Okay. And we were having a great time. But if you remember 2000, 2001, there was a tech bubble. Yes, there was. I was about to say, you're right on the cusp of the bubble as you're starting into that. Oh, my goodness. And while we were doing well, our investors were like, you know, that next round, we're not so sure. So we ended up closing the company and the president of the company at that time, I'm going to refer to him as Nigel, not his real name, but Nigel said, you know, you created HR out of nothing for us and I gave you no money to do it. And we're very fancy now. We went from one employee to 400 employees and I love technology. So I had a lot of tech things going on. That was back when you had to mail floppy disks to people. So I'm aging myself, but (laughs) nope, I'm right there beside you. I get you. (laughs) So he was impressed with that and said, you know, I like the way you do what you do. And I think that you have the ability to actually create a company that provides provides HR services to other companies. And I was like, you're kidding. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Absolutely not. And he was uh, like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Absolutely not. And I said, that is not my forte. I am a fantastic number two. As the chief HR officer, I would sit on the shoulder of the CEO and whisper in their ear and you know, be their confessional. And I was a safe space. Very, very good at it. Loved the work. 
and had no intention of being number one. And he said, okay. And then about three months later, he called and said he had a new gig as the CEO of a new company. And uh, he, I had trained him enough to know that they needed HR services. So he said, can you please take care of that for me? And I can't afford you. So we'll do an independent contractor agreement for a moment. And, you know, you'll just write a handbook. So the handbook went to running payroll and getting benefits for them and dealing with employee issues. And my compliance gene kind of kicked in after a few months. And I was like, look, I'm dealing with a lot of confidential information of your employees. We need corporate veils. I need insurance. You need protection. I need contracts. And so I incorporated in, uh, he started all of that in, the company closed in February of 2001. And uh, I incorporated in August. So nice. that is the story. Very nice. <laughs> That's I love stories like that. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Well, it's fantastic because the thing that it really taught me is there are people around you working with you who see what you do and how you do it. And they can very easily see something in you that you absolutely do not see in yourself. Yes. This was something that was not even remotely on my radar. And it has been the most challenging, the most amazing and the most life-changing process to get this company from an idea and get it up and on its feet and have a great team and, so um, I'm very, very fortunate that uh, everything worked out that way. I love that story. I love that story. And I love now that we get to we get to basically learn from you directly. And our listeners get to learn from you what you've learned in all those years since you started that company and what you've learned in working with clients that they need. So, yeah, I'm kind of excited to ask you the first question about HR. And that is something that I think a lot of startup and small business owners throw themselves into hiring because they have to, they need, they need people helping them, but always hard to know how you know that you're getting the right candidates. So where do you start when you're, you're going out to hire people for sometimes a number of roles simultaneously? How do you know if you're getting the right candidates to show up? I think that where you start is not out there, it's in here. It's all about preparation. It's all about being very, very clear, both with yourself, and then you can be clear with others around what you need, what you're looking for. And the way you can kind of suss that out, particularly if you are, your company is new, you're hiring your first employee, or you're hiring employee number 20. But if you're in entrepreneurial phase, I will call it, if you're in that phase, then you're kind of used to doing everything yourself. (laughs) We are superheroes. We put on our cape and we just get it done. And if something doesn't happen, we hunker down and we grind and we, you know, get it done. You can't do that for everything. And it also stifles your growth. So you have to get to a point where you do need help. And not only is it help to do the tasks, but you would be amazed how much mental and emotional help it is as well. Because when I walk in here and I'm having a bad day and I just encounter my team doing what they're doing, it puts me on a high for the rest of the day. It gives me the energy and the drive to move forward. So when you're looking to bring someone in, you're not just looking at skills and ability and history. You're also looking for resilience and you're looking for someone who can problem solve. And basically my phrase is you want someone who can add something to the party. 
Not only do you not want them to take something away, but you don't want them just to have status quo. You really want them to bring something to what's happening in the organization. So in order to do that, first of all, again, you have to be very clear around what it is that you need. And the way you figure that out is take a look at what's happening in the organization now. If you are fortunate enough to already have a team, then you have some people who are successful on that team. Take a look at the qualities and the skills and their thought process and how they approach issues. Look at that, model that, and then model that around what you're going to put together as the job description. I'm a big fan of job descriptions because, you know, I would love to just wing it, but that doesn't work out well. So (laughs) you really should have a job description. And there is a difference between a job description and a job posting. A job posting, actually, I say recruiting is a marketing experience. So you have to understand in the same way that you are recruiting potential clients to work with you, you're recruiting potential candidates, particularly in this environment we're in right now. You're recruiting potential candidates to come to your organization. You want them to be invested in your vision. You want them to be invested in going from here to there and helping you get there. So again, you have to, the things that you have to look at are not only what gaps do you have in the organization that need to be filled, but also what type of person, what is their thought process? Who do you really want on your team? And to get at that, Asking a question about where you want to be in five years is probably not going to do it. That's one of my least favorite questions. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. I mean, the idea. I of, hate that question. <laughs> and yet it is so, so common, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm in an internal process right now. I got asked that question in a round two. Where do you want to be in five years? I was like, I want your job. So how do you right. how how's that make you feel? I'm coming for you. Exactly. I mean, is that the answer you're looking for? I hope so. <laughs> well, so when you do, so you let's say you've done the internal work, you have a vision for both what this candidate is like in terms of their talent, their flexibility, their resilience, the energy, the the flavor that they bring to the company, right? That you're looking for based on that have been successful and maybe based on some holes, some areas of um, and you've got a really solid job description, which, wow, I cannot, I cannot agree with more. Um, just thinking about previous roles I've been in where the company was amazing, but the role that I was giving was amorphous and it makes it hard to move forward. It makes it, I think, hard for supervisors also to direct you. But let's say you've got this vision and you've got the job description, but now you're in the interview and you've got 30 to 60 minutes in this initial interview to get a sense of whether this person is capable of fulfilling the job description and brings that that special stuff that you're looking for. What do you ask? How do you interact in a way that gives you a sense of that reliably? Exactly. Well, first of all, again, it's prep. So you're going to take a look at the resume and you're going to look at the skills and abilities and experience that they've laid out on the resume. What you want to know is what is there a match of the qualifications alongside of what you need for that role? And then there are probably there will probably be some things on the resume that you think might address some of the expectations you have for the role, but you're not sure. They either don't fully suss it out, or maybe there's room for interpretation. 
So that's the second category. And then the third category are things that just aren't addressed on the resume at all. You have in your head that you want them to know, you know, HTML, and they didn't mention HTML on the resume. So when you go into the interview, you're going to prepare questions prior to the interview. No, you may not just wing the interview. I am notorious for trying to wing an interview because I've been in HR longer than well, a very long time. Right. So, Longer than we're going to admit you on a public record. Exactly. That is exactly right. Thank you very much, Adam. And so, you know, I will try to wing uh, an interview. I'm good at extemporaneous speaking. So I will just, you know, jump in there. And my recruiting director, whom I owe everything to, will say, we're not going to do that, Vicki. <laughs> you know better. We're going to prepare. We're going to prepare questions for the interview. So you go through the resume, you look at those three categories, and you're going to focus on category two and three. Two are where you're not quite clear on um, what's on the resume. You have some questions around it. And three are things that aren't addressed on the resume at all. So basically, what you're going to do is look at the competencies, the fancy HR word for skills. You're going to look at the competencies that address that are addressed or not addressed in number two and number three. And then you're going to drill down questions on those particular, to get at those particular competencies. So an example would be, for instance, if someone says, I'm really great at customer service, I'm customer focused. So your series of questions, and they will always be a series of questions, because it really is kind of a version of the question underneath the question, you know? So you're going to say, fine, give me an example when you of when you were not able to meet the client's request, when it simply was not possible to provide for them what they needed. What happened? What did the client say? What did you say? What made you happy about that interaction? What made you unhappy about that interaction? Did you do a postmortem? Did you talk to your manager? How could the company set you up for, for success in that kind of an environment? What could they have done? Um, so when you drill down on questions like that, you not just get, you don't only get at the answer to the story, you hear the story, but you also start getting at their thought process. And that's really what you want. You want to know how do they think through the problem solving process? The other extra added benefit, and I hate to be cynical, but you kind of can't lie continually through a series of questions like that. So you tend to get candid and truthful answers. I absolutely like that. And so then the other thing it makes me think of too is the one thing we don't do as the interviewers, if you will, is practice the interview, right? We give people all sorts of interview practice on like how to answer the questions, how to think on your feet, how to respond, that type of thing, how to defend your resume. But I don't know if I've ever been trained to interview somebody else for a position. You're absolutely right. I mean, honestly, I was never trained. <laughs> the reason no, I've no, come... no, it was like, here's your training. Oh, by the way, you're interviewing somebody today. Oh, right. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's come from years and years of experience for me. And I will be, I will raise my hand to be the first person to say, honestly, recruiting is not my favorite part of my job, which is why I'm very fortunate that I have an exceptional staffing director. I know how to do it. It's just not my favorite thing. And it does require a significant amount of prep work. Now, the part of the interview that I love the most is when you get to the second part where you're selling the company. I love that part. 
So, so don't forget that part. It is important to do that. But as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, we tend to go there right away. We want to talk about all the exciting things that we're doing and the plans that we have and how great the, uh, you know, our client base is and all of that. You have to make space in the beginning for the candidate to be able to convey enough information to you so that you can get a sense of who they are. And that's really the purpose of the resume. And so, like you said, 45 minutes to an hour, you have to give it time. I've heard people say, oh, I know whether or not I want that person to come into my team in the first 15 minutes. You probably don't. You haven't given it enough time to know whether or not your first impression was correct or not. Mm -hmm. So then talk about speaking off script. I I drive everybody crazy because I do this all the time. But, you know, in, in thinking about all this, too, then it makes me think about the down selection process. And maybe this is more of a corporate America issue than a small business issue, right? But it is and it is not. It is not in that we have LinkedIn, we have Fieldglass. I mean, we have Glassdoor, we have uh, jobs.com, right? That run AIs, right? So that when I come in, I say, I need to find a programmer and I put in the qualifications into those search engines. The AI is pulling out the resumes that it thinks I want to look at. Corporates have the exact same way to filter through that, but we've seen the problems in AIs doing that work for us, right? So what's some of your observations in these tools that are out there? So if you know for corporates, it's the bigger CRMs that we have for small diverse businesses, it's the LinkedIn jobs, it's the jobs.com interfaces. What's what's some of the things that you coach people on when using the interfaces, the AIs, the biases that have been well documented, that type of thing? That is a fantastic question, and uh, for all sorts of reasons, but not the least of which is that that environment from a regulatory standpoint is really in flux right now. With the onset of ChatGPT, you know, it's become so popular and is so much in the media that the eye of the government has now, has now turned in that direction. So New York in particular has already passed legislation that says, uh, puts a tremendous amount of stipulations around the use of artificial intelligence in the selection or the promotion process. So basically, if you are using a tool that does uh, use artificial intelligence to select or weed out, shall we say, resumes, then that tool has to be validated by a third party. And the employer can't be the third party and the people who own the tool, i.e., you know, indeed, can't be the third party. It has to be evaluated by a third party consultancy. And there is a list of things that they have to validate. And what they're trying to do is make sure that some of those uh, unintended biases that we've talked about, you know, are, are, are handled. But in addition to that, there are notification requirements. You have to notify the individuals, and this means candidates as well, that AI is being used in the process. They have to have an ability to opt out so that it's only used, so only humans are reviewing their information. It's a lot. It is a whole lot. And so that's just the tip of the iceberg. And for the larger organizations, you know, I've been part of large corporate organizations for much of my career. And for the larger organizations, they absolutely have gotten comfortable with using artificial intelligence to determine who's eligible for a promotion or who's eligible for a training program that will point them toward a promotionary track. All of those things now have to be evaluated by a third party. So that is just in New York right now, but I'm telling you, it's sweeping the nation. Yeah. 
especially with HR, wherever New York, New Jersey, or California go, the world is soon to follow. Absolutely. And from a federal standpoint, the government has now started looking at it. So the White House put together a white paper on the use of AI. It's not a regulation yet, but that's the precursor. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has reminded everyone that AI can cause discrimination. Uh, The use of AI can cause unintended discrimination. So without kind of getting in the HR weeds, that definitely is something that is really, really on everybody's radar right now. And so the way we use artificial intelligence, we really have to be cognizant of how we're using it, whether or not we have human backup. And honestly, I have had experiences where I've gone into, you know, career builder or something and asked for resumes. And it turned out the candidate we ultimately hired didn't make it through that part of the screening because they just didn't have the keyword on their resume. But They were fantastic. And in fact, they had something else that was more applicable to what we were looking for. So you really have to take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah. And then it almost turns into a guessing game on can I match the right word for the computer? Right. Absolutely. It does. And then the candidate is having to basically you're only seeing the candidates that are best able to game the AI. Right. Eating of the extraction of their resume. So exactly. Yeah, it's really, it's definitely not the best pathway forward. And it's great to hear that New York is looking in, and that the White House is making, um, is looking to making regulations around this. But of course, we know that AI is merely replicating biases and unfairness that pre-exist AI. Right. <laughs> so true. I wanted to just ask you, especially if you're a small business owner, right? And you haven't necessarily built out a full HR operation. Maybe you don't, you aren't working with a full-time HR professional under the umbrella of your organization yet, but you're still needing to think about some foundational policies that you can set up around hiring practices and uh, thinking around fairness. I'm thinking around equity and diversity, thinking also about, right, there's, there's the regulatory concerns. And then there's like, what's the right thing to do, you know, that may not be fully described by, by the regulatory Uh, by the regulations. So can you give us, before we jump to termination, because there's so much to talk about there, but before we jump there, can you talk about what, especially a smaller organization, a startup or a small business can do as they're setting up or thinking about improving their HR policies around hiring for fairness? Right. And also, you know, in the vein of being selfish about it, it's not only being fair, it's also setting your company up for success. Because when you have a diverse team, your foundation is tremendously stronger and stronger. And it's been proven that diverse team, when companies have diverse teams, they're more successful much more quickly than those companies that don't. So it's something that you're doing because it's the right thing to do, but it's also a success builder for you. So the kind of thing that you have to do, the first thing you should do, honestly, is look at your demographics. And I know when we're small businesses and we have three people, we go, what demographics? <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I turn around and I can't see my demographics right, right there in front of me. <laughs> exactly. But the things that you do need to be aware of and careful about, one thing that happens that is, it's just human nature, and I get it. You have someone on the team who's really good. They know someone. They refer someone. They went to school with someone. They refer that person. And so 
when you're going on employee referrals 100% of the time, now I think I love a good employee referral program and I love a great candidate coming from, you know, that's kind of a known quantity. That's even better. But if you solely rely on an employee referral program and you start taking a look at the candidates that are coming in and you're not seeing any diversity because the people that we know and we hang out with may look like us and talk like us and have the same background that we do. And so you may get a lot of the same thing. If that's happening, then your antenna needs to go up and you need to say, you know what, I'm not casting my fishing net as it were in the right places. So I need to get out there. And if you don't have folks inside your organization referring people in and you're just posting on the far and wide on the various platforms, make sure that you're posting in diverse places. We think of kind of the big three, you know, I'm gonna look on LinkedIn, I'm gonna look on Indeed, I'm gonna look on Monster and Career Builder and that's what I'm gonna do. Every single location in the United States has a job placement, government attached, you know, state attached or city attached, a job job placement, either council or community or something like that. Cast your net there. What are you doing to actively find veterans? What are you doing to actively find candidates that might be might have a disability? What are you doing to actively go out there? You know, so you have to cast a wide net. If you cast a wide net, then you have a great possibility that you're going to get a diverse team. You just have to plan for it ahead of time. I absolutely love that. And it brings me back to in my supplier diversity days, I remember walking into a boardroom and the CEO looks at me and goes in, in a very proud manner, goes, look, my entire board is diverse. I was like, your entire board is made up of the same racial ethnic group, which is a minority, (laughs) but it's far from diverse, my friend. That's not diversity. Yeah. You know, so you have to understand the difference between between the two, because we often Mm -hmm. blur the lines in our conversation and even our thought patterns. So I think that's a great caution. You know, we have to be careful of understanding what does it mean, right, to have a well-balanced, diverse team takes intentionality and it takes bravery. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. So you have to be you know, willing to, to kind of stick it out there as a leader to do that. That's fantastic. That's exactly right. So figuring, how, figuring out how you're going to put together the most valuable team for your organization has a lot of pieces to it. So it's just important, you know, write down some of these points and keep them front and center when you get ready to go out and look for a candidate because you'll forget them, I guarantee you. Or you'll get so busy and so wrapped up that we end up doing what we always do, which is I'm gonna post on the job boards, I'm gonna see what comes in from the job boards, et cetera. One other thing, uh, one final thing I, I do wanna say about recruiting and resumes, applications. It's important to have an application. Now you're not gonna get an employment application from every single person who you know applies, but if you're gonna interview someone make sure that they complete an application. The reason is a resume is not a legal document. An application is. An application has a signature on it that says, I attest or you know something of that nature that this information is correct. So, and if the applicant fills out, please see resume, which you know we all wanna do because who wants to go through all of that over and over again? you really need to have them fill it out. If someone is falsifying their history and you have an application that they have signed and they put incorrect information on that application, you are in a, now I'm not an attorney, so I'll say that up front, but you are in a, a much better 
position to be able to take action on that because you have a signed legal document that has incorrect information. Yep. I love it. Yeah. I did not realize that. This is good stuff. So with that said, and and we would love to have you back to talk about everything that sort of happens in between building the culture at an organization, for example, that retains diversity and that feels supportive and fair and leverages the talent there for success and the diversity there for success. But in this episode, we're talking about hiring and firing. So to ask you- The bookends. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. What needs to, first of all, if we're just thinking about the beginning of the firing process, so we're not actually sure if an employee will be terminated, but we're beginning to think maybe it's not going to work out with this, with this employee. Can you talk about the process that managers and HR need to go through when they're thinking about if this person should be here or not? Absolutely. Well, I have one overarching rule that I always tell my clients and managers that I'm consulting with and anyone else that I'm you know, giving a little HR advice to. The number one thing is let everyone keep their dignity. If you remember that, you're probably going to be in a better position than you would be if you didn't. So when I say let everyone maintain their dignity, I mean, let's try not to surprise people. Let's try not to respond to an emotional feeling that we're having in that particular moment. It is challenging to be a leader. A leader can't just look at the last 10 minutes or five minutes and make a decision based on that. You have to look at the sum total of what the person has contributed. You have to go all the way back. What are their positive traits? What are their negative traits? So you have to really stop yourself and make sure that you're being fair in your deliberation. And then you have to have the courage to communicate. And that is a huge one because I just hired Vicki. She's fantastic. We've needed a receptionist for the past six months. She's here. She's great on the phone. We're so happy she's there. She takes great messages. She's late every day. She's been late every day since she started, but she's really great at everything else. I don't want to stir up the waters. I'm I'm not going to say anything. Maybe it'll just heal itself and go away. And then two months later, you know, you're in my office going, I need to fire Vicki today because she's driving me crazy because she's late every day. Well, you've never had a conversation with her. You've never said that it was a problem. This is going to be a huge surprise to her. And Yes, there is a legal component. You do want to have backup and paperwork and documentation and all of that. And I'll talk about that in a second. But aside from all of that, the purpose of all of those conversations is to get the employee to improve. It's not to paper the file so you can fire them. (laughs) It's actually, it's better to get them to fix the problem because as we all know, it's tremendously expensive to hire someone and, and, tra- and you know hire a new person, have that job unfilled for a period of time, a burden on the rest of the team, all of those things that we know about. So you really want Vicki to get better, but if you don't tell her about it, it may be the fur- furthest thing from her mind. She has no idea that you're having a problem with it. So I always say that there, you know, generally um, my HR colleagues will say there's verbal warning, written warning, and final warning. I think there are like two or three warnings before you even get to verbal warning. So Vicky's late every day. You have a casual conversation with her after, you know, you notice this for about a week and you say, you know what? 
I'm so happy to have you here. You're doing a great job. You do this, that, and that, and that beautifully. I've noticed that you don't come, you're not here at 9 a.m. and I actually need you. It's critical that I have you here at 9 a.m. So I need you to clean up that part. The rest of it is fantastic. Do you have any questions? How can I help you? Is there anything I can do to further your training or your development? Please let me know, et cetera, et cetera. That is the pre, pre, pre conversation. It's casual. It's five seconds. It's not a big sit down thing. It's just a, I'm pulling on your coattails and letting you know that I have noticed that you're not on time and that that has some concern for me. You go through a little period of time and it might be a really little period of time, it might be two days or three days if she's still not coming in late. Then you call her, you call her in and sit her down and say, you know, we had a conversation before and I just wanted to let you know. I mean, I know it was casual and we were just, you know, discussing a number of other things, but I wanted to let you know that being on time is very important, particularly in your job, particularly in working for me. This is an area that I'm very focused on. So it really is important that you're on time. Is there some reason that you have continued? So let's talk about that and figure out what's going on. So you have that. You notice I haven't said anything so far. The going on, and this is what I need. And then the next thing is, if she's still not on time, then you call her in, sit her down and say, okay, we've had a couple of casual conversations. Unfortunately, I think I feel like I need to make this a little more formalized in a certain period of time. So that formalized process, you send her a follow-up email that memorializes the conversation that you had, those kinds of things. And then unfortunately, if it continues, you may find yourself at a situation where now you're filling out the form and you're signing and she's signing, it's going in the file and you're putting a, uh, you know, you're putting some guidelines around how quickly it has to be improved. And most importantly, you're setting a schedule to have a follow-up meeting. Don't leave those, those warning meetings without actually setting the follow-up meeting because either it will, it'll go by the wayside, it won't happen, you'll get busy, you won't want to confront it, she doesn't want to confront it, and pretty soon you're not having the follow-up, and now three months has gone by, no one said anything about anything, but there hasn't been improvement. So it's critical that you lay out that full path. Yep, no, exactly. And 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 I like how you, you kind of set the, the conversation starting casual just kind of escalated slowly. I think we go too far from I'm frustrated to paper determination and, and we don't follow that path. But it also helps you if for some reason she decides to bring a lawsuit. Right. And because I know a lot of my small business owners, they're almost petrified to fire somebody because they fear that retribution. So I think by kind of following those steps that you've laid out, you can kind of show hey, I, there were several chances given here, right? And we started out casually and we made our way to formal and then we made our way to termination. It it shows a reasonable timeline. You know, we go to that reasonable prudent person protocol that right. we love to use in these, <laughs> these scenarios, right? Exactly. And I think you find the coverage in that. And, I, and I, I like that. That's a very easy formula to follow. And again, I too am not a lawyer like Vicky. So. <laughs> Although you know about that reasonable person, very impressive. Yes, thank that you, comes thank up you, a lot. Thank you. Yes, the reasonable <laughs> and prudent person. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, the other thing that I find that clients fall back on is, well, we're an at-will state. So 
Oh, we yes. can fire someone for <laughs> any reason or no reason at all. Right. I can fire because she came in in a pink dress on Tuesday, you know. So at will is a very interesting thing. Uh, it's not in every state. And for those of you who don't know what it is, it basically says, yes, you can fire someone for any reason or no reason, lawful, lawful reason uh, or no reason at any time without notice. And the flip side of that is the employee can terminate their employment at any time without notice. Now, what I end up doing, the first part of that is I end up talking to clients a lot because they will either use languaging or they will actually have paperwork that is an employment contract. So they're like, oh, I'm hiring so-and-so, I'm going to give them an employment agreement and blah, blah, blah. An employment agreement, most often, not an attorney again, but most often an employment agreement is going to supersede at will. Because the reason for a contract, an employment contract, is to lock that person up so they can't just walk out at any time for no reason without any notice. And you may need that if you're hiring a CFO or a COO. You know, you might want to know they're going to be there at least for the next year or two years. And the flip side of that, and this is my entertainment background coming into play, is the pay or play side. Because just as you have locked them into employment, they've locked you into payment. (laughs) So that's what an employment agreement, a true employment agreement is. And if you're going to use an employment agreement, get an attorney to write it for you. It's a legal document. It's a binding legal document. And it's probably going to spell out specific reasons why termination can happen but you're not gonna give employment agreements to everyone on your team. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of people on your team, I would guess, would not really be the folks you wanna give an employment agreement to. You don't wanna lock up your budget in a pay or play scenario with everybody on your team. So mostly you're gonna give them what is termed an offer letter. It simply is a confirmation of the offer that's been provided. It has lots of at-will language in it. And um, it's clear that this is not a contractual agreement. This is just memorializing the terms of your employment that we've already talked about. So you want to give them an offer letter. And the other part about at-will is, so we have at-will and it stands as it stands. It can be superseded by an employment agreement. It at-will again says that you can, you cannot Uh, You can fire someone for any lawful reason. Firing someone for a reason that is determined later on to be harassment, discrimination, retaliation. Those are not lawful reasons. So you cannot fire someone for those reasons. And if it's determined that you did, then you're kind of in the suit. The other piece that people don't think about is this fabulous thing called the um, good faith exception the covenant of good faith exception. And that basically says that it requires employers to only terminate employees for good cause, no matter if you have it in your handbook or you have it in the offer letter or anything. So you can only, you're in an agreement with that person and you can only terminate them for good cause. Many, many states have the covenant of good faith exception. People don't even know about that. They don't even know what it is. So if you, you know, stand before the guy, the guy or the gal in the robes and say, I fired so-and-so because we're an at-will state. And they come back at you and say, what about the covenant of good faith exception? You will have a nasty surprise. So I go back to dignity. 
let people keep their dignity. If you're going to terminate them, realize that it's because they are not meeting the expectations that you have in that job at your company right now. They might be fantastic at XYZ company down the road. It's not about them. It's about the production. It's about what they're producing. So attack the issue, not the person. I mean, if you have to end a podcast on firing people, that is probably the most positive way to wrap up a podcast, or at least part one of a podcast on this. That was absolutely fantastic, too. To remember to keep dignity as your watchword when dealing with your employees and, and you may be having to navigate and manage through difficult times. I love that. I know I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind when I work with my team. So that is absolutely fantastic. Before we close, I wanted to ask about separation agreements and how small business owners should use them to protect themselves. Nice. Okay. All right. I will give you again. I'm dating myself the Reader's Digest version of separation <laughs> agreements. <laughs> you could have said cliff notes. Yeah, right, that's right. fine. That's, that's not a problem. All right. So a separation agreement is... When someone leaves, sometimes you want to give them a little extra money just to help them bridge while they're looking for a new job or to hopefully so they feel good about you so they won't have an attorney write a letter and come back at you. That's perfectly fine. I'm not a fan of doing that without a separation agreement, because if you do it without a separation agreement, it's just free money. I'm not a fan of that. A separation agreement is a release from the employee that says, I agree to release you from X, Y, and Z in exchange for this payment. The payment could be money. By the way, I know I sound like an attorney. I'm not an attorney. I just want to keep saying that. That's right. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the payment could be money. The payment could, could be extending their benefits for a period of time. So there are all sorts of recompense that they can get in exchange for a separation agreement. A separation agreement, however, cannot release you from everything far and wide. Various states have various guidelines. Again, I'm in the golden state. We have lots of rules around what can and can't be released. An employee can't release harassment claims. They can't, re- you know, so they're, they can't release discrimination claims. So there are various things that they can't release, but it can protect you from things like, oh, the employee comes back and says, I was never paid overtime the entire time I was there you can get that in a release. So it gives the company a little bit of confidence and protection. There are various guidelines around releases, and depending on the age of the person that you're giving the release to, those guidelines change. Old folks like me get lots of time to review the release, and they can also rescind their uh, signature uh, within seven days, and that is true for young folks as well. Um, But So there are definitely guidelines around it, so this is something you would not do without talking to labor council. So I think that's another important message to end on, uh, which is remember, definitely, definitely, definitely engage council when it comes to setting up and implementing your HR policies every step of the way. And also engage an incredible HR professional like Vicky or Vicky. There you go. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for being here. We, we hope you'll be willing to come back and, and share some more with our audience. Vicki Brown, again, is the CEO of eDomainio and is an incredible professional in the world and, and consultant in the world of HR. Thank you so much to all of you for listening to the show. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Gidry reed and at Adam Moore. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out our previous shows and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. 
Thank you so much again. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.